Reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of the, word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For the last several weeks, we've been, well, the last several weeks when I've been preaching, we've been studying about the Holy Spirit. This is going to be the last lesson in this particular series. Don't worry, I'm not done talking about the Holy Spirit, but in this particular series, this is the last, last lesson I intend to bring. Um, I know that it's been a lot and uh, I appreciate the comments I've received and the, the, uh, the thoughtful things that you all have, have said and asked in response to this particular series. And I'm glad that from what I've heard that this has been a blessing to you. What I want us to do this evening is just answer this particular question. What does the Holy Spirit do in a Christian's life? Again, that's where most people start, and I would, I would argue that's maybe not the best place for you to start in a study of the Holy Spirit. Rather, it would be good for all of us to go back and study some of the things that we've previously talked about, because the things that have happened before, the things that happened with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and what He did in the life of Christ, and what we see Him doing in the early church in the first century, those things are all important to appreciate and understand so that we have a context and a basis for answering this particular particular question. But make no mistake about it. The Bible teaches very clearly that the Holy Spirit has a role and is active in the lives of New Testament Christians today. Let me just illustrate what I, meant, what I mean by that. As you look through the pages of the New Testament, you'll find that Christians are commanded to be born of the Spirit. All people are commanded. Jesus says in John chapter 3 verse 5, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. We are to be born of water and the Spirit. So when someone is baptized, one of the things that's happening is you're being born of the Spirit. The Spirit's involved in that conversion that takes place. The Bible teaches that. Not only are Christians born of the Spirit, but Christians are, as we just read, sealed with the Spirit. More about that momentarily. But the Spirit is given to Christians as a guarantee of their inheritance. Another passage teaches that we are to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 16. One of my intentions in the next year or so is to do more preaching on a lot of these Holy Spirit type of passages and show you in each context why this is brought up and what it is that God wants you and me to understand. So as you read Galatians 5 from about verse 16 all the way down to about verse 24, there in Galatians 5, we're said to be, we're commanded to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And the Bible says we're to bear the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Does the Holy Spirit have a role in your life as a Christian? Absolutely he does. You're not really following Jesus if you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, according to this passage. Other passages teach that Christians are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple? And that word means dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us according to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Again, Christians are to strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
You know, this Take Five uh, adventure that we've embarked upon as a congregation, if you're visiting with us, here's what I mean. We've encouraged everybody to take five minutes when you come to the church building to reach out to and introduce yourself to somebody or have a, have a conversation with somebody that you may not know very well. And one of the reasons why we're doing this is because we want to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, when someone becomes a Christian, they are added to God's family. And as a family that's been, that's been created by the work of Jesus at the cross, and as a family that has been united together by the work that the Holy Spirit has done, the Bible teaches we're to strive, we're to do our best to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And we do that by growing in our relationships with one another. Ephesians 4 verse 3, that may be the key verse of the entire book of Ephesians. Again, Christians are to be led by the Spirit, Romans 8 verse 14. Again, as you look at the the New Testament, Christians are to pray in the Holy Spirit, Jude verse 20. Jude is just a one chapter book, so it doesn't have chapters, but in Jude verse 20, Jude writes to his brethren and tells them that they are to be praying always in the Holy Spirit. Their lives reflect the fact that they are, le- they are living spiritual lives. They're, they're following in the way that God would have them to, to walk. And then again, the scripture says that we are to sow to the spirit. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6 verse 7, he who sows to the flesh of the flesh reaps corruption. Galatians 6 verse 8, he who sows to the spirit of the spirit reaps eternal life. We are to sow to the spirit. We're to invest in spiritual things, things the spirit would have us to be involved in. And then we are to be filled with the spirit. That's a commandment, by the way. Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the spirit. And the way that happens as you read on is as we sing and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 teach us. All these passages, and there are more that could be added to this list, indicate that the Holy Spirit is a part of, is active in the lives of New Testament Christians. You can't deny that by reading scripture and seeing these passages and thinking, well, the Holy Spirit has done his work 2,000 years ago and there's nothing else that he's got to do. You You can't arrive at that conclusion by reading passages like this. This lesson this evening is just a survey, it's just an overview. Many of the lessons we've done in this series have been just that. I'm not going to go in a great deal of detail, I just want you to kind of have an understanding. I believe there are at least five things that we can clearly point to in scripture as we ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit do in a Christian's life? Five areas that it would be good for us to pay attention to. And you need to study these more more fully, you need to study these more thoroughly as you study this particular subject. By the way, there's no better subject for your study than the study of God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's divine. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. We've established that in previous lessons. And there's nothing better you could do with your time than to study God and his nature and his work and what the Bible reveals about him. That's what Christians are all about. We're all about God and who he is. And so this is the kind of study that Christians ought to excel in as we think about Bible study. What does the Spirit do in a Christian's life? Number one, he is a motivation to purity. A motivation to purity, especially when it comes to sexual immorality. 
There are two primary New Testament passages that use the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to convince Christians that they should not participate in sexual immorality. The first passage is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. You can open your Bible there if you like. I've got it on the screen behind me if you'd like to just follow along. When we talk to people about, when we talk to young people about sexual immorality and, and purity, and when we talk to Christians about sexual immorality, oftentimes our reasoning, the things that we say to people about why they should abstain from sexual immorality are very different reasons from the reasons the Bible gives. We ought to think about that. The reasons I might give somebody why you should stay away from sexual immorality might be very different from the reasons that God says I should stay away. Listen to the argument that's being made. Flee sexual immorality, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know Here's, he's explaining, how are you sinning against your own body? He's explaining now, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? What's he arguing there? He's saying that as a Christian, the Spirit dwells in you. Last week, we talked about the various views of the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you're taking notes, you can write this down one more time for emphasis. The Bible teaches that the Spirit dwells in a Christian. There is no equivocation. If somebody says the Spirit does not dwell in a Christian, they're not telling you what the Bible says. They're, they're, they're deviating. The only difference, the only question that people have is how does he indwell a Christian? Does he indwell me directly and personally? Does he indwell me representatively through the Word of God? That's the difference, that's the question. Everybody ought to believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because the Bible teaches this. Passages like this are very clear, aren't they? The Holy Spirit is in you. It's just a question of how is he in you? And there is room for disagreement among sincere brethren who are really good Bible students and respect the scriptures and what they teach. There's room for disagreement on the how. But the fact of the indwelling cannot be denied. And the argument that's being made here is when you obeyed the gospel, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. And now that he lives in you, whether it's representative indwelling, whether it's a literal indwelling, whichever it is, now that he is in you, you can't take your body and join it to something that is unholy. That's God's reasoning. That's his logic. And he goes on and argues this. He says, you are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. You were bought. You were redeemed at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The spirit dwelling in a Christian is supposed to be a motivation for me to think about how I use my body. What am I using it for? What am I using my eyes and my ears and my mouth and my feet? The, 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 the things that God has blessed me with, what have I to do with those? The spirit is a motivation to purity. There's another passage that does this same thing. It's First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through eight. And just to, just to abbreviate 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. And specifically, he says to Christians, he says, you should abstain from sexual immorality. 
anything outside of marriage, two people who have said, I do, anything outside that is sin, it is immoral, it is wrong, and Christians are to have nothing to do with that. And then at the end of that passage, as he goes on and reasons about sexual immorality with his brethren, in verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, therefore, he who rejects this doesn't just reject me, I'm the apostle Paul, but he's rejecting God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Again, the idea is the Holy Spirit dwelling in a Christian is a motivation to purity and the fact that the Holy Spirit dwelt in the apostles gives confirmation to the fact that what he is saying is true. It comes from God. It's a motivation to purity. Secondly, what does the Holy Spirit do in a Christian's life? He is an assurance of our salvation. A guarantee, an assurance. If you contract with somebody to come and maybe you need some plumbing work done at your house, oftentimes it's hard to get workers to come to your house. How do I know you're really gonna show up? I'm, I'm desperate, I really need my plumbing fixed. How do I know? I guarantee I'll be there tomorrow. Somebody might give you their word. Somebody might even bring some of their equipment and leave it at your house and say, look, I've left my equipment at your house and that demonstrates that I'm coming. I'm gonna fix the problem. I'm gonna deal with it at the appropriate time. How do you know for sure that we're in a right relationship with God, that we're saved, that we're going to be saved one day? Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14 reminds Christians that when they became New Testament Christians, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he goes on to explain further. He says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. People who write about salvation and what the Bible says about it they often note that there is an already and a not yet aspect to salvation. I am already saved. When someone obeys the gospel, when they're baptized for the remission of their sins, they're already saved. I'm saved right now. But there is also a sense in the Bible, in the way the Bible describes salvation, there's also a not yet sense. I have not yet arrived at the final consummation of my salvation. I have not yet been judged by God and, and, and I'm not yet there in the eternal abode with my heavenly father and with the saints of all the ages. I'm not yet there. And what this passage is saying is the Holy Spirit dwelling in a Christian, again, the how is not under consideration here, just the fact, the Holy Spirit dwelling in a Christian means that I am guaranteed by God as long as I continue to walk in the light and serve and follow Jesus Christ, as long as I don't harbor sin in my heart that I'm not willing to repent, as long as those things are true, the Spirit abides in me and he is an earnest, a down payment, a guarantee of my inheritance. He's a guarantee of our salvation, according to Scripture, an assurance. I believe in our prayers, it would be good for us sometimes to thank God for his Holy Spirit, to thank God for what the Bible says about what the Holy Spirit does. I don't think there's anything in the world wrong with thanking God for what the scriptures teach about how the spirit dwells in us and encourages us to be pure and encourages us to keep on fighting the battles that confront us every day of battles of temptation because he is a guarantee of our inheritance. I know, 
I know he dwells in me because the Bible tells me so. Next, what does the Spirit do in a Christian's life? He uses God's Word to transform our lives. This is critically important for you to understand. The Holy Spirit uses God's Word to transform our lives. He wants you to change, and He uses the Word of God to make that happen. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, as Paul encourages Christians to put on the whole armor of God, remember, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In verse 17, he commands them to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take that sword, the word of God, and use it, apply it to your heart, to your life. And what happens as we open up the pages of scripture and as we let scripture saturate our hearts and saturate our minds, as we allow the scriptures to do that on a continual basis, on a daily basis, there is transformation that takes place. In Romans 12, verse two, the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How does your mind get renewed? By the word of God. Open the pages, listen to the word, do what it says. Be doers and not hearers only, James chapter one, verse 22. There's another passage along these lines, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out by God, some translations say. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Here's a question. I've heard many people over the years say things like, the Spirit is leading me and, and I just feel led to do this. Or the Spirit is speaking to me and he's telling me things in my life and, and I just, I, I'm listening to what he's telling me. If 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is true, what it's saying, listen carefully, is that all the instruction that I need, all the instruction that God intends for me and for you is found in the pages of the Holy Bible. All scripture is inspired, all scripture is profitable so that the man of God may be, watch the word, complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The Spirit uses the Word of God to change and to transform our lives. And instead of trying to sit at the breakfast table very quietly and listen for voices talking to us, what we ought to do instead is sit very quietly at the breakfast table and open the pages of God's Word or open up an app on our phone and let it be read to us. Because as we hear and as we read the words of the Bible, as we do those things, the Spirit is changing and transforming our lives as we listen to God's Word and obey what it says. He uses God's Word to transform your life and to transform mine. Here's a question worthy of contemplation. If you're listening to voices in your head, if somebody is talking to you, how can you really be sure, even if that were happening, how can you really be sure that that's God? How would you even know? By what standard would you judge? The Bible gives us an affirmation to know that our experiences and our decisions and our judgments, I can know my judgments please the Lord. I can know that they displease the Lord because I have a standard that's very clear. And it's the same standard that everyone else is amenable to. God uses the scriptures to transform us.
What does the Spirit do in a Christian's life? The Bible says that he is a helper when we pray. It's often been pointed out as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, that interceding for us is something that the Spirit does for us and not to us. That's important. Interceding on our behalf is something the Spirit does for us and not to us. You and I, we ought to intercede for one another in prayer. Our elders at every service intercede on behalf of those that are sick, those that are struggling. They mention their names and we bring our brethren before the Lord in prayer. And what we're doing is we're praying to God on behalf of someone else. That's what intercession means. It means I'm praying to God for you or for somebody that we're concerned about. The Spirit intercedes for us according to this passage. Listen to what it says, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. And then he describes what our weaknesses are. Okay, if you just stopped right there, all kinds of things would result. But he continues, our weaknesses in this case are that we do not always know how to pray as we ought. There are a lot of situations that are perplexing, that are downright difficult. And it's hard to know what to pray for. It's hard to know how to pray. And, and so as we offer our prayers to God, we do the best we, we know how. And we say, God, I, I'm concerned about this situation. I'm concerned about this person. And I'm not really sure what to pray on this occasion. And the Bible says the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit is praying, interceding on our behalf as we pray. And God, who sees the big picture of your life and mine, God, who sees the big picture of salvation history, who knows what's best in every situation, God hears in that sense. And so the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is a helper when we pray. He's interceding for us. I don't have to always be concerned about making sure that everything I say is exactly the best thing. I don't have to spend my time wondering, is this best, that best? When I pray, I pray and I bring my concerns and my thoughts before God. And as I bring my thoughts and concerns, there are a lot of times when I don't know what to pray for, the Spirit does. And he's able to intercede on my behalf. It's a great assurance, isn't it? Because when we pray, God is hearing and he understands There are things that John needs. There are things that you need. And I know how to give him the very best gifts. And then this, what does the Spirit do in a Christian's life? I believe, and we've established this in past lessons as well, I believe there's a case to be made because the Holy Spirit is divine, because he is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, same being, different persons, same being. He works in providential ways. Providence means that God is working in natural ways behind the scenes in order to bring about his will and create circumstances and opportunities for his people. I'll give you a passage along these lines. There are others that could be given. Philippians 1.19, the apostle Paul is in prison. Philippians is one of the prison epistles. And Paul kind of turns the attention to himself and he says, I'm here in prison and I'm not really sure how, how things are going to work out. I'm not really sure what's going to come when I go before Caesar and I plead my case. But he says this with some degree of confidence in Philippians 
I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. You gonna be released from prison, Paul? I believe I will. Why do you believe you're gonna be released from prison, Paul? Because the church is praying for me and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ will cause it to happen. That's what Paul believed. Through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, Christ will be magnified in my body though, whether by life or by death. He goes on to contemplate, you know what? I'm not 100% confident that's going to happen because no promise has been made to me, but I believe because you've been praying for me and because of the providential working of God, I believe that I'll be released, I'll be delivered and maybe be able to come back to you. The Holy Spirit sometimes works in providential ways. To be a little bit more specific here, And again, when we talk about providence, we're talking about a non-provable proposition. We know that God works in our lives. We know that he cares for us, Romans 8, verse 28. We know that he causes all things to work together for good, but you can't really ever point a finger at it and say, I have a Bible verse that says God did this particular thing at this particular moment in my life. Even inspired men like Paul were left saying, perhaps, who knows, Mordecai said to Esther, But the spirit works, I do believe, God does in providential ways. As you think about this, some include, number one, answered prayers as we just studied. Answers to prayers. Being strengthened with might through the spirit in the inner man, Ephesians chapter three, verse 16. God answers prayers as we bring our concerns and our thoughts before him. Not only that, there are blessings to be found in the church, in the body. Think about all that the Bible says about our relationships with each other, about the mutual working of Christians together, how we are hands and feet and eyes and and, and ears, and we all fit together. The idea that the church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit is communicated in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. And there are providential blessings that God intends for your life and mine, listen to me, that you will never experience outside of the church. There are things that God wants to do for you, that God wants to give to you that you can never receive if you dissemble, if you decide I'm just not gonna be a part of the church. And then third, circumstances and opportunities. Paul talked about coming to Corinth. He said, if the Lord wills, if it's his will, I'll do this. First Corinthians 16, verses seven through nine. And then he goes on to say, there's a great and effective door open to me and there are many adversaries. I'm praying, Paul said, that God will give me the opportunity to go and to see my brethren and to work with you and to bless you. And God may well give me those opportunities, but he may not. In his providence, God does that for us. He brings circumstances and opportunities into our lives where we can apply his word and obey what it teaches. So as you think about the question, what does the Holy Spirit do in a Christian's life? There is much to be said in answer to that question. We should not ignore, we should not act like it doesn't matter. At the same time, we must be very careful as the people of God to speak rightly concerning what God has promised to do in our lives, to speak accurately according to what the scriptures teach concerning what the Holy Spirit has said he will do in our lives through God's word. The spirit in the Christian's life, it's an important subject worthy of further study on your part. 
Perhaps you're here tonight, you're not a New Testament Christian, you're ready to obey the gospel. The Bible says when you are baptized, you are born of water and the spirit, John 3 verse 5. If you're ready to make that commitment tonight, if you'd like to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers because God hears and answers prayers, if these things are a concern to you, make your way down the aisle while together we stand and sing this song of invitation.